You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here this morning to worship with us. Um, Just the past few words that we just sang. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So many people are gathering in churches all over the world today, trying to be good enough. And the gospel is we cannot be good enough, but he was perfect. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died the death that we deserve. And when we believe, we belong to him. And it's so important that we always remember our sins, they are many, not were. Our many, his mercy is more. Well, so grateful again that you're here. If it's your first time, uh, you would, it would help you to know that this is sermon number 26 in a series called Engage the World with the Gospel. It's part of our mission statement, our purpose statement here at Grace Community Church. Uh, and today is going to be the last sermon before mid-August, we'll return to an emphasis on outreach in a series within the series that will focus on our calling to be a gospel community. The Lord has called us to be a community for one another's sake and also as witness. Now, it's not that we never share Christ. We've been talking about it for several months, but we, as a community that exists to glorify God and to take care of one another, automatically share the gospel with others. Now, today's message is taken from 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, where we'll be reminded that God uses a lot of people to accomplish His purposes. The spread and the growth of the kingdom, God uses us for those purposes. He brings life to those who hear the gospel through the efforts of many. Uh, our tendency is to look at Methods and personalities to advance God's kingdom, as silly as it sounds when you say it out loud. I mean, it really does when you say it out loud. Okay, well, I am going to accomplish God's will on this earth, or I'm going to advance the kingdom. God advances the kingdom. A couple of weeks ago when I was in the book of Acts, and as I've told you, I've been reading as much as I can in the ESV study Bibles, in the particular books from which I'm preaching. Uh, the emphasis is so much that Jesus was doing the work through the apostles. So Jesus was advancing the church in those early days, and nothing has changed. We may not do the same kind of miracles that they did. I, do miracles still happen? Yes, I believe they do. I think oftentimes more so in places where the, the word is not as prevalent as it is here. But Jesus is advancing his kingdom, but he's using us. So our tendency is to look to personalities and methods to advance God's kingdom. But this is nothing new. In fact, in the earliest days of the church, men and women lined up behind personalities, as we're going to see today. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. And they considered themselves more spiritual because I like this guy. Oh, you like John Piper? I like Tim Keller. I think he's way better than John Piper. Oh, no, you're wrong. It goes on. It just keeps on the circle. The cycle keeps on uh, moving no matter what the age. 
So the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Corinth that one plants, one water, waters. That was a really bad one, wasn't it? That was a, uh, I mean, I, I routinely invent words if you're here uh, for the first time, but that one was close uh, to being troublesome. Uh, so one plants, one waters, God brings the growth of spiritual fruit. So today's message from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 3, 9 is shared as an encouragement to remember that each one of us has a role. Even though it's <laughs> Jesus advancing the kingdom, God is advancing his kingdom. We get to play a role in that. And that's a pretty awesome thing. 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 addresses so much more than evangelism. In fact, evangelism is not really the primary focus, although it absolutely is an application of what's going on in this text. It may be more about spiritual growth and church unity and gospel growth within the church than it is about sharing the gospel, but it is about evangelism as well. And I think you'll see that as we just read through the text, which we will do now, and it's our Tradition to stand when we read the words of the word. Please stand. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Wow, it would be great if we had time to talk about this in contradistinction to judge not, to be not judged, and how it all works together. He's talking about discernment. The spiritual person has discernment. For, for who has the, excuse me, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you were still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? That's significant that he doesn't even say who is Apollos. Paul is almost dismissive of this disunity over lining up behind person. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we are... Indeed grateful to be a part of your kingdom. And then it is beyond our comprehension to 
appreciate or our ability to appreciate the fact that you use us as a part of the advance of the kingdom. Help us, Lord, not only to be challenged to remember that you are the one at work and all glory goes to God, but also to be encouraged that you have chosen to use us in the ways that you have. And so often in ways that we're not even aware of. So, Lord, um, encourage our hearts, convict our hearts, change us today through your spirit who makes the word come alive in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. Three things about sharing the gospel that we know but constantly need to be reminded of. And the first is that no one understands God apart from the Holy Spirit's work. In our text, Paul is pointing out the contrast between believers and non-believers when he says, essentially, that the gospel makes no sense to those who believe who, who don't believe. Remember in 1 Corinthians 1, early in the chapter, where Paul said the Greeks think of the cross as foolishness. Jews think of the cross as a stump, or the, the, the cross as a stumbling block to Jews. Uh, it, it was not appropriate to speak about the cross in polite society, any cross, any crucifixion. It was awkward when someone brought it up. Non-religious people think that the gospel is lunacy, and religious people think that the idea that a Messiah would be crucified, the Messiah, the Deliverer, would be crucified is absurd. It's just absurd. So why do you think some believers are so confident in their own knowledge and their ability to present the gospel in such a compelling way that people will just say, yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I, I think I'll just believe that. There will be no work apart, no conversions apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. This is clear in our English text. It's far more so in the Greek text. In the English uh, translations, verses 6 and 7 read uh, along this lines. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. In the Greek translation, both verbs are in the aorist tense. And the aorist tense in indicates an undefined action that happened in the past. Usually it happened in the past. That's almost always the aorist. So I planted, Apollos watered. We don't know much more than that. But in the Greek, God's actions are much more clearly defined. In verse 6, the verb defining God's actions are, um, is in the imperfect tense, which means an ongoing action in the past. So it would read more like this. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God was continually giving the growth. He was doing his work. He was doing this over and over in lots of different situations and circumstances. And then in verse 7, the, the verb that defines God's actions is in the perfect tense. Now, the significance of the perfect, this is a big deal. The perfect tense is an action that was completed in the past with implications to the present. So when 
The New Testament was written and Jesus said, it is finished. In the Greek, <coughs> he actually said it in Ar Aramaic, but it was written in Greek and the Greek is written in a perfect tense. So in other words, it is finished. It was paid in full is another way you can translate tetelestai, the Greek word for that. It was finished then, but it has implications to the present time. Present time of the writer, but scripture is eternal. So that death of Jesus continues to have implications all the way into eternity. And that's what Paul was saying. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who has given the growth that continues to grow is a literal way that you can translate this. If that's too much to swallow, just know this. God is the active agent in the evangelism process and in the salvation of our souls. That doesn't mean our role is unimportant, but it does mean that our role is not the ultimate factor in the process when we share the gospel with other people. In other words, parent who so desperately loves your son or your daughter who doesn't know Christ, <clears throat> It's not going to be you who will convince your child of the need to trust Christ. Another gallon of water on the seed is not going to do it. And I don't say that to be in any way dismissive or irreverent or, or hurtful. That's not my point. <clears throat> it's just that we need to understand or we, we need to be encouraged by the fact that God will do his work. Some of you have said everything that you can possibly say to your friend or your neighbor. And you so desperately, just like we read years ago, it feels like years ago, but many months ago in Romans 9, where Paul said, I would do anything if, if, if my brothers would come to Christ, brothers and sisters in the Jewish nation would come to Christ. I would count myself accursed. I would take their place in, under God's judgment in hell. If God would allow it. And I know many of you feel that way. But be encouraged. That God will do the work. What you can do is pray. Pray for your, your child's uh, understanding of the gospel. And acceptance of it. Pray that the right person will come along at the right time. With the exact right word. And, and do understand that it's not probably not going to be the person that you think is the right person. It's kind of like. Okay, well, I see that I'm not going to be the one, but maybe it's going to be Chad Moody. Because, you know, Chad, he's just out there and he loves, he loves life and my son loves life. And if I can just get them, it's probably not going to be Chad. It will be under circumstances where it's not expected to be Chad. God does that so often. He brings about his work in ways that we can't point to ourselves. We get to point to him. And give him the glory for what he does. So is there need for us to study and learn and prepare to share the gospel with unbelievers? I mean, isn't God just going to do what God's going to do? Well, absolutely there's a, there's a need for that. The point that the Apostle Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 2.14 and beyond is that believers have the mind of Christ. Well, spiritually minded believers have the mind of Christ. Paul rebuked the Corinthians for their ability, inability to receive anything more substantial than milk. He had meat that he wanted to offer to them. 
He said, well, I guess okay. Let me go get some more milk and feed that to you. What a shame. Since unbelievers have no true understanding of God, but the Holy Spirit <laughs> makes God known to and through believers who are growing spiritually. And when the Christian life is all about appearances and methods and programs, spiritual growth is just stunted. It's, it's taunted in many cases. If a carnally-minded believer is unable to understand or grasp the truth from God, how much less the unbeliever? Don't, do not think that using the methods of Apollos over Paul or preferring Paul's Roman road to Peter's gospel in the air is going to make the difference. <clears throat> Those are important things. It's important for us to help someone <coughs> understand what it means <coughs> Excuse me, to be a Christian. But those methods are not going to be the ultimate difference in whether a person comes to Christ or not. Now, they don't come to Christ without us interacting. We've seen that very clearly. God always uses a person to share the truth of the gospel. But it's not the ultimate decider. So why is it that we believe? Is it, is it because we're smart enough to believe? But there are a lot of intelligent people who do believe. But that's not the reason that they believe, because they're smart enough to figure it out. It, in fact, it's Really, you hear the gospel story, it's foolishness, it's, it's a stumbling block, it doesn't make sense. So it's not our intelligence that leads us to believe. Is it because we're good people and we instinctively know, we intuitively know that, that God is good and thus we want to be good so we go to church and we're, we're, and oh yeah, okay, well okay, that's what's being said, I think that's what I'll, no. The gospel tells us we can never be good enough. Why do we believe? We just do. We're compelled to believe, and once we believe, the Holy Spirit causes what seemed to be foolishness to be understood as the brilliant mind and plan of God revealed in the gospel. It's a wonderful thing when you possess the mind of Christ, because when you have the mind of Christ and you interact with others, they sense it, the Holy Spirit attracts some people to the gospel. Some are repelled by the gospel, but it's not you that they're receiving or rejecting. If it's the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit working with you, it's Jesus that they're receiving or rejecting according to God's sovereign design. Speaking of God's design, the second thought of the three is that God uses believers as part of the gospel process. We've already been talking about this. All these, all three things are just very simple. Acknowledgements of the truth of how evangelism and outreach works. Uh, once again, even though Paul was rebuking the Corinthians in the text that we're reading this morning, we're given a glimpse of how God brings people to himself. In his grand design, God chooses to use us in the advance of his kingdom. Paul planted the seed. He wasn't, Paul wasn't criticizing himself for planting the seed and Apollos for watering the seed. He was just saying that 
This is all we're doing. But it is a very important part. Paul plants, Apollos waters, and God brings the spiritual growth. It wasn't long ago that all of us would have understood fully the agricultural analogy that Paul employed. And we do get it to some degree, but we are definitely removed from the land in ways that uh, we weren't in earlier years. Throughout history, everybody has understood what it takes to grow food. Many of the uh, early American presidents were farmers before, during, and after their tenure as president. They weren't out planting seeds when they were president, maybe, but they were overseeing from afar uh, the, the, the farm back home. And everyone understood how it worked. Seeds were planted by human hands, not by machines. Everyone knew that water was essential for the growth of a plant. And look, water was far more important, it appears, in the earlier days than it is today. Well, of course it's just as important today, but we don't even think about it. Because we don't, we're not out there without irrigation systems just praying for rain, hoping for rain that, that, that the skies will open up and water the seeds and not too much water, just enough. But we found all kinds of ways to, to circumvent nature as it is. And who knows how long we'll be able to do that. that. That may one day not be possible anymore. Um, we hardly think about how crops are grown unless there is drought in the land or unless we really care deeply about the food that our family receives, as many of you do. And so it's not just any food from any land done by, uh, produced by any farmer that you will take. But for the most part, we don't really care. I mean, we all understand the science of plant life. A seed is planted in well-tended soil, it's watered, weeds are removed, food Cotton, tobacco is grown. We get it, and yet life is always a miracle. And it's the same with evangelism. One plants, one waters. God brings the miracle of life to the repentant believer. Gospel growth refers to so much more than a person coming to grips with his or her sin and trusting Christ, but it does begin at this place. The decision to believe is always a process. Culturally, we tend to think that our clever presentation of the gospel will persuade someone to believe. Even if our witness is extended over years, days, months, years, it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep working with this person until he or she believes. In this text, though, sharing the gospel like everything else in the Christian uh, life is designed to be accomplished in community. We think, here's the process, here's the result. It may be humbling to recognize that evangelism is designed as a team effort, or it might be encouraging, quite encouraging to realize that it's not all up to you. We're blessed to be a part of the cycle, whether it's praying, sharing, affirming what has already been said. And this is a good place to move to the last point. Bits and pieces, only God gives the growth. 
I, I think at some level, most of us in the West are salesmen at heart, salesmen, saleswomen at heart. We are convinced that if someone will buy the product that we are selling, their lives will be infinitely improved. And frankly, because there's so much baggage that goes with Christianity, so much in our history where people have done very badly, a lot of people just don't want to hear it. Not only are they not interested in buying, I mean, true, honestly, do, do you answer the doorbell at home when you can get away with not answering the doorbell? If somebody's trying to sell you something, whether it's religion or, you know, vacuum cleaner, whatever it is, it's like, no thank you, I know what I want, and I'll... So a lot of people are, are that way about the gospel growth. It's just not as simple as just I'll sell it, somebody else will buy it. If I sell it enough, enough people will buy it. Although it's clearly true that the more we share Christ, the more likely we are to see people come to Christ. That's the design. That's the way God made it. In the early years after I was saved, I acknowledged before God that I was indeed the kind of sinner he said I was and that, and, and that I needed Christ to save me. I used to tell my testimony a lot. People asked me to, I wanted to tell, I had a story I wanted to tell. And I, um, you know, would say things like, I finally found what I was searching for. That almost sounds like the 11-year-old on the talent show. I've been dreaming about this all my life. <laughs> I hope you have a lot more life ahead of you. Uh, but I, I, would, I would say, I found the Lord. But as I grew in my understanding, I realized that he ran me down. And brought me to himself when I had no interest whatsoever. I cost everybody who wanted to convert me to Christ. I said, I, I will never do that. You know how that goes? I'm amazed at the level of understanding that our children have about the gospel and grace. When they come to me and they talk to me about baptism near the end of their time in children's ministry. Please think about this, parents. There is a big difference in what your child understands at 10 years of age and 6 years of age. There's a huge difference in what they understand and what the elders and the workers hear when we listen to their testimonies. Give it time. Just give it a little bit of time. Can I encourage you to do that? I'm also quite impressed with our students when they come through the Grace Connection class at 15 years of age. And by the way, to many of you students, I, I would encourage you, go through Grace Connection class when you're 15 so that you could be brought into full membership at Grace. And the interaction and the things that they say, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, there's been some good teaching going on in children's ministry and in youth ministry. The point is we're raising a covenant community family here. I, I, I could point to the parents and say what a fine job they've done and they have you have in so many cases, and Keisha with children's ministry and Ricky with youth ministry. But there are a whole lot more people involved than just the ones that I mentioned. Every Sunday this morning, we've got how many back there? Lots of people in the back with our children. Assistants as well as teachers. Uh, there are grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends, 
teachers, Randall Goodgabe, Andrew Peterson, who have had impact on our kids' lives. When I came to Christ, it wasn't out of the blue. I thought it was out of the blue, and that's the way I told my story. And then I thought back about my mom, who had prayed for me for years, and Mabel Council, my biology teacher, who passed me just so I wouldn't have to be, repeat that class I gave. She prayed for me. And friends that, that prayed for me, and then the Lord brought this big revival, the last revival, that, that really serious revival in America, the Jesus Movement in the early 70s. And all of that came, and all of that comes with all of our children. It's a big plan that God has, and we get to be a part of that. It's truly a team effort. One plants, one waters, God causes the growth. I'm going to skip that paragraph because we've said it, I've said it already. Don't be discouraged when you feel as though your efforts are fruitless. Do not be discouraged when you feel like, you know, I do this all the time and nothing ever comes up. Don't be frustrated when you're, the, you're only able to share a portion of the gospel before somebody cuts you off. Okay, that's enough. I don't want to hear anymore. It's bits and pieces. God's putting it all together. It's not up to you in the first place. He's making the puzzle pieces fit. Why does God seemingly use some people to see large numbers of people come to Christ and others to see very few conversions? If any, even though they're faithful, to share the gospel. Is it because, well, this one's just a whole lot better at it than No. Look, anytime you, you ask, why does God, the first answer is, well, he's God and we're not. Again, not to be dismissive, but just to acknowledge his ways, his thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. Your perceived lack of fruit does not indicate his displeasure with your efforts. He does what he will, and most people receive the gospel in bits and pieces, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. More than anything else in life, God is trying to teach you to trust him. No matter what you're going through, you don't have to learn the lesson that God, many times he'll teach you a lesson, but more than anything, he just wants you to trust him. To just acknowledge, I'm, he is God. And I believe that he has my best interest in mind. And when you witness and you don't see people come to Christ, you have no idea how the Lord is using you in bits and pieces. And if he doesn't allow you to see the fruit, that's a good thing. It could be that you would be really proud. And pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. Who knows why? He does things the way that he does. Started it, set it all the way through. Sharing the gospel is effective evangelism. Ultimately, when someone receives the gospel, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who gets to see that happen a lot... 
is the blessed beneficiary of the work of many others. It doesn't matter where you are in the process. Prayer warrior, planter, puller of weeds, waterer, God is the only one who gives the growth, and He uses you in the process. Could He do it without us? Absolutely. But He chooses to use us. And that's a big deal. Jesus said, whoever gives or welcomes a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. We're all part of the process. We all share in the rewards. We all share in the gratitude to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge our belief in you and in what Christ has done for us. We acknowledge that we did not deserve to be called children of God. We also are aware that the fact that we do is not only because you have called us into your family, but because many people were faithful to share the word with us, to share the word of the gospel, to show Jesus to us. Just live in such a way that we desire what they have. So, Father, as we come close to the end of this time where we've been thinking about outreach and we'll go on for the rest of our lives. We're going to have opportunities. We pray that you would encourage us even if you just allow us to have the teeniest word to say to those who need to hear. And we thank you for your grand design that includes us. And as we come to this table where we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine and we are reminded of the price that was paid so that we might be saved may our hearts Lord be drawn to you and to one another and to this good news that Jesus died for sinners it's in his name that we pray amen Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.